Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you had a weekend like mine, which was relaxing. Took my lovely bride down the beach on Saturday. We had just an enjoyable time. Came back here and just chilled out on Sunday. She took all the kids over to the beach, and I did some work in the backyard and got a nice suntan. That's the thing. When you know you're traveling, you you got to get yourselves all tanned up so you don't look like some ghost coming out of the Gulf of Mexico. So it's great. Hey, I want to do a shout-out. Now, when you get older, you sometimes forget people's birthdays, and I, I think I've got this right, but I think my mama's birthday happens to be today because it's right before Mother's Day. So I want to do a shout-out to my mom and tell her happy birthday. She's got a big old box of goodies going in the mail, so it's going to be awesome. And I'm sitting here procrastinating a little bit, trying to find my spectacles so I can read the daggum print in this book. There we go. I tell you, it's been great. I'm sitting here drinking a a cocktail made from tangy tangerine and life shots from 2110. I decided to mix it up. I love both of those. I want to see if I could drink them both at once, and I tell you what... You talk about bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. That's how I am right now. But it's got a good flavor to it, and I love those companies. And any time that I can promote them, drink their products, and just rave about their leaders, I do. But today we are in Chapter 4, Love Works, Seven Timeless Principles for Effective Leadership. You know, and it, it, people ask me a lot, Troy, what is it that you do? How How do you... Make your money. You know, you do these radio shows. You you do all this stuff on the Internet. You know, it, it, I, we just don't see how you can make money compared to what all the big leaders do. And it's never it's never been about money. It's always been about serving others. And when you look at our company, and we do own a company, when you look at our company and you look at the divisions, it, I started looking at what we do compared to what H to say, okay, are we are we headed down the the right path? And we have basically four divisions in our company. We have our consulting and, and public relations division, we have our publishing division, we have our social network division and we have our our blog network where we put stuff together and as I as I was looking at this and and realizing how deep we had gotten into to social media with the internet radio and and stuff like that and our our new television shows we're producing and and you look at everything everything that we do is based on serving an end user whether it's a a company that comes to us or a top leader for some consulting or a distributor that we're trying to create training and, and coaching for, our end goal is the same as, as what Starbucks would be, what Apple computers would be, what what HFEs would be, and that is to make sure that those people that work with us or for us have the best experience out there and to make sure that the end user, the person that actually gets the product or gets the service or watches the video or hears the radio show, that they're able to walk away with a nugget. And that's why we try to, to really encourage and support every chance we get. That's why I passionately praise distributors. And as I was sitting here studying Joel's 
four. He starts this off. He says this, how many of you have felt like you've had too much encouragement in your life? Now, see, if you're like me, there's times when you needed that encouragement and you didn't get it. And it's like you came to a point where you decided, you know, no matter what, I'm going to give back to people and try to help them the best I can. And that's what we want to do. Now, that doesn't mean that when you're expressing kindness that that you're nice all the time. See, my my drill instructors constantly encouraged us, but they, man, they got on our butts left and right. I remember when I pre-qualified with the M16 and the and the and the 45. I'd been shooting rifles all my childhood of one facet or another. So when I did my pre-qualification, I had dynamic scores at both short range and long range. But when it came time for the actual qualification, man, I just I just sucked at it. I I, I just I just locked up. Couldn't couldn't get it. wasn't paying attention. There's no excuse. It was me. My drill instructors knew it was me. They knew it sure what the heck wasn't the the gun, the, the the rifle or the pistol. So I went back and I got in the pit and I did PT instead of eating dinner that night. I was tired. I was whooped. But by the end of the night, my drill instructor set me down. And he said, Troy, actually he said Dooley, he said, you're one of the best I've seen coming out just without training. You just, you went in and you shot. All you did was clam up, and I need you to go out there tomorrow. And I need you to act like you're not even in the Marine Corps. Just go back out like you were target practicing or shooting squirrels. And I didn't have a problem that next day. And he was right behind me, encouraging me all the way. I never forgot that. So as I'm sitting here reading this chapter, it dawned on me, man, that's what my drill instructor was doing. Joel says, I was a senior striding the hallways of Battle Creek Lakeview High School on the way to the football banquet. I don't remember the words my football coach spoke at the banquet that night, but I'll never forget the lesson I learned about kindness from my first coach, my mom. Sports were huge for me. I played football in the fall, basketball in the winter, ran track and played baseball simultaneously in the spring. My high school was large, and it was common for the stands to be full at games. If you're an athlete on the field, there are a lot of people watching you from the stands, but you shouldn't be expected to know them all, right? That's not what my mama thought. As we turned the corner towards the banquet room that evening, we passed three youngsters who were obviously freshmen. They smiled at us and chorused, Hi, Joel! I gave them a vague head nod as we walked past, continuing our conversation. Wrong move. As soon as she could steer me into a private space, my mom jabbed her finger into my my chest and just abonished me. You listen to me, young man, she said. Every time you walk by someone, you have the opportunity to make their day better or worse. I don't think you made their day better. Those boys clearly looked up to you. And because of who you are in this school, you had the opportunity. No the obligation to try and make their day better and certainly not make it worse. I was stunned. Mom almost never got upset, and this was certainly the first time she'd ever poked her finger in my chest. As the banquet progressed, I collected myself, and while my football coach recapped our season, my mind drifted back to what my mom had told me. I took her message, 
make their day better to heart. It was strong advice, and it continued to resonate in my life for the rest of my life. He goes on, and he says this, and I, and I wrote words of wisdom beside this. He says, when I am at my best, I try to make this kind of deposit, even if it's only small, into other people's emotional banks. See, he says when he's at his best. See, sometimes we as leaders, we listen to shows like mine. We listen to those gigantic gurus that we all love, like Zig Ziglar and and Brian Tracy and Anthony Robbins and Darren Hardy, and we say, wow, I want to be like them. But what they never talk about sometimes, some of them sometimes get to it, is that, man, their day suck too, and they're not always on their game. But when we are on our game, we need to be focused. We need to make everybody's day better. Joel took this so much to heart that when Saturn launched, it became a major part of that company. He goes on, he says, June 23, 1994, was a hot, rainy day in Spring Hill, Tennessee. The scene looked like something from the movie Field of Dreams, where hundreds of cars were lined up on a gravel road to see a baseball field that Kevin Costner's character had carved out of an Iowa cornfield. If you build it, they will come. Now, what's so important about this to me? I remember my mom and dad going down on, on Frontage Road, where the new Saturn dealership had been built in Blue Springs, Missouri, and buying or leasing their Saturn. I don't remember which it was. But when they got out of there and they came back home, they were ecstatic. They thought it was the greatest experience they'd ever had at buying a car. There was no wheeling and dealing. There was no, well, you know, if you could get this or you could get that or you could do all They just went in. They said, this is the kind of car we want, and they walked out with it a few minutes later. And, and I remember a few times when Dad had to take the car back up there, even that experience was something. They always had some little snacks, you know, around and coffee and, and, a, and a nice plush place to sit and just while they were working on your car. And I remember that they were known for that. They were known for the no-hassle car buying experience. Well, let me go on here. He said, but this scene was even bigger. More than 25,000 cars were lined up for miles after miles, all heading towards the automotive plant. Most of the cars had orange foam balls stuck onto their antennas that said Spring Hill or Bust. Total strangers had driven from across the country, drawn together by a common purpose. As they arrived and parked their cars, they began to hug, give high fives, and tell each other stories. The crazy thing was they weren't celebrating a rock star or praising a presidential candidate. They were excited about their cars. And not some elite or expensive automobile like like a BMW, a Ferrari, a Mercedes, or even a muscle car like the GTO or the Camaro or, or anything like that. No, this was the scene of the Saturn homecoming, an owner's event that attracted more than 43,000 Saturn owners who journeyed to Spring Hill. They listened to country music concerts. They had good old-fashioned fun, great, great comfort food, I can guarantee you. The first Saturn vehicles were simple and practical. There were no supercharged engines to entice the driving enthusiasts, no gizmos in the dashboard to excite the techno freaks. What inspired these owners were the way they were treated when they bought or serviced their car. The Saturn homecoming was simply the chance for Saturn drivers to share the enthusiasm of owning it. 
Now, see, to me, that just blows my mind. But see, Joe got it. Sadly, well, maybe not sadly at that time, but GM got it at that time. He says, in November of 1983, General Motors announced a new operating unit, the Saturn Corporation. It would be the first brand since Chevy in 1918. Its much-popularized mission was to manufacture a smaller car that would compete with the Japanese. A smaller car was widely believed to be the future of the industry. But here was the deal. From the start, GM leaders recognized that transformation Transformation for the experience of purchasing a car would be key in the success. See, next to next to attorneys, I think car salesmen probably rank the lowest in in the actual food chain in the American sales process. We don't like being nickeled and dimed. We don't like thinking we've been screwed when we walk out with a new car that we can't afford. We're looking for an experience. We all go in there a little bit calloused and a little bit defensive. So here was something different. But but it's not about the car. It was about the experience. See, this is what sometimes we as leaders don't get. If we don't get outside the box, if we don't think past the status quo, if we don't figure out a way to lead with kindness, Stop trying to get the most out of a dollar and instead try to get the most out of people. Then we're not going to win. I'm reading a, a, another book. I don't, I don't want to mispronounce the name. It has nothing to do with leadership. It's not one that we will, we will have on the radio show. But today as I was reading this chapter, this is for me personally, something in here struck with me. And the name of this book is uh, Sex Pyramid, Seven Days of Lasting Intimacy with Your Spouse. It's a, it's a marriage. But one of the things that, that Ed Young and, and Lisa covered in there, that is, it really works well with Joel's book here. They said, you've got to give to get. And see, too many times in corporate America, it's about getting, not giving. We want to get. We want to get the most that we can from our employees. We want to get the most out of the, the, the customer with the least amount of effort that we've got to put out. We don't want to become emotionally attached. I remember when I first got into business, one of the first things that I was told in one of my management classes that was, was well, actually, it, it should have been a leadership class, but it wasn't. It was, it was called a leadership class, but really it was a management class disguised as leadership. One of the things that I was told is never get close to the employees. Never get close to your subordinates. You're the leader. Act like it. And I just I didn't get it because in the Marine Corps it was just the opposite. I remember my Major Fenton. He was what we called a must-dogger. Came up from the ground up, became an officer. We busted our butt one whole day. It was out in the middle of 29 Palms, California. And he came strolling back from the base up at the uh, at the PX. Four cases of beer, two on each shoulder. Took off his shirt like the rest of us, sat around a bonfire, and we started talking. If you don't think he built relationships, it wasn't about not getting close. See, what Joel's talking about here is really interesting because 
Here's what the CEO of Saturn said to the employees when they launched. He said, loyalty today is no longer a function of rote or duty, but rather passion. You must do things so astonishingly well that the customers become not merely loyalists, but rather outright apostles. See, that's pretty powerful right there. Guy Kawasaki, the chief evangelist for Apple Computer in the 80s when they became the name brand they are, almost said something identical. See, it wasn't about the computer, and it wasn't about the Saturn car. It was about the customers. Turn them in from just customers, just loyalists, to apostles, to evangelists, to raving fans, whatever you want to call it. See, I try to tell CEOs this all the time. They're never going to buy the company. They're going to buy the experience. They're going to buy what your people share with them. It's one of the reasons that the two companies that I mentioned at the top of the hour, 2110, who is, matter of fact, their people all start a cruise today, and Longevity, who just a couple of weeks ago came off their convention and their cruise. The reason they're doing so well is because they create an experience for both the field force and the customer. I know. My mom's been using Life Shots for over a year, almost since the company launched. I know it works. I've seen what it does for her. I know that it works for me because of my clarity. I know that longevity works because I've lost more weight now than I have on anything but Yoli. See, the experience is what people are looking for. But when we don't lead with kindness, we don't give a good experience. See, it's not about just customer satisfaction, just customer loyalty. It's about getting them to be bought into it, to feel like they own something. Make their day better. That's what he lived by. Joel believes that's the name of the game no matter where you're at or what you're doing. Kindness works. Listen to this. This was powerful. So as I stood in the rain on that hot summer day in Tennessee and watched complete strangers hug one another because they loved our brand, I had a surreal feeling. We had come so far in a short time. The Saturn enthusiasts wanted to talk with plant technicians who had built their cars. They asked to sign their names on the white brick walls in the Saturn plant. They had been treated with trust and respect, and they were rewarding us with their car-purchasing dollars. This translated into loyalty, too. Everyone I talked to wanted to buy another Saturn. Now listen to what he writes next. I learned a vital principle from this remarkable experience. The enthusiasm of a great experience can never rise any higher than the enthusiasm of your own employees. The employees were stoked. They had put their pride, their energy, and their effort into building something. Saturn leaders were passionate. Employees calling on dealers were passionate. The dealers were passionate, transferring the enthusiasm to their own salespeople and service technicians. See, kindness is a critical component if your organization is going to succeed. At HFE... Joel felt right at home because they specially focus on creating an enthused workforce. I have never met a grumpy, nasty, pissed-off, silver-dollar city, 
Stone Mountain employee in my life. I remember driving in in, a, in, a, in an RV in the Stone Mountain, Georgia, right outside. Really, it's kind of in the heart of Atlanta. It was rainy. It was nasty. I'd never been in an RV before. I was not the happiest camper. I walked in and said, man, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing. I know we've got a reservation. And the old boy looked at me. And he said, man, you must have had one sucky day trying to figure out how to drive that bus. I said, I did. He said, why don't we not worry about any of the paperwork? Let's not worry about doing any of that crap tonight. Go up here. And he gave me the lot number. He goes, just settle down. He goes, I'll come by in the morning. We'll, we'll, we'll just settle up on everything. I said, man, thank you so much. He goes, no sweat whatsoever. Man, they, that's trust. He didn't look at me like I was some whacked out dude. Except I felt that way. See, this is how they train their people. Because they walk their walk from the top down. Here's what I mean by that. Joel writes, I was having a particularly bad day in 2009. The recession was in full gear. The attendance number of our parks were headed in the wrong direction. We had also been working for more than a year on two acquisitions that had just fallen through. As a result... Our meetings were spent cutting expenses, trimming capital expenditures, and making other agonizing decisions. It was a bad day and a bad month and a bad year, and I was feeling low, struggling to determine what we could do to get things headed back in the right direction. And then I opened the mail. I opened that mail that day without enthusiasm, but I found a note from Jack, and it read this. Joel, as you said, 09 has been a tough year, and I agree. In some respects, it's been a great year that you and your team have proved that you can manage through the toughest times you are likely to experience in your whole career. Thank you for the awesome jacket and the kind words, Jack. In the middle of a hellacious day, a hellacious year, he gets a note, handwritten. I've been sending handwritten thank you notes since I was about 22 years old. Never send enough, because you never can. But when you send a handwritten note, not an email, not a text message, not some typed out letter, it's amazing what can happen. But listen to this. Then about six months later, Marky also got a handwritten note from Jack. See, 2009 was so tough that Joel was back out on the road. He was away from his family more than he was at home. He was... He was out there spearheading and leading like leaders are supposed to lead. Remember, one of the reasons that he'd gone to HFE was because he wanted more family time. He didn't want to replace those family principles with work principles. Here's the letter that Jack wrote to Marky. Dear Marky, Lauren, Aaron, Jesse, and Anna, over the last two days, I've had the privilege of watching your dad provide the most awesome leadership to the president's team. It was the kind of leadership that leads to actions pleasing to Jesus. I'm so grateful you have chosen to share him with us. Appreciative Jack. Now, they're sitting around the dinner table. Joel's at home with his girls. And as Marky starts to cry, she said, He's amazing. You've worked in business almost 30 years, and I've never gotten a letter from one of my bo- from one of your bosses. Art Williams taught me the, the principle and the power of partners. 
He was so passionate in making sure that partners, men or women, were a part of our business culture that he started a complete organization with their own TV show where Angela would get in and she'd be talking to partners about the business because it's tough. See, when you lead with kindness, you can't go wrong. Since that day in 2009, Jack's written almost three notes. He's written him three notes, handwritten, very appreciative. He knows what it's about. I challenge you today, out of kindness, sit down. Don't 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 make this an over you know over abundant deal. Now this is normal for my mama. She's constantly writing cards and sending them out to everybody. But for you people in business, it might be something new. And I challenge you right now. I want you to do this. Find three people that you know you need to send a handwritten note to. They don't even have to be business-related. I do this a lot with my pastor when I know he's going through a rough time. See, you need to take time to just write a handwritten note. I want to say thank you for what you've brought into my life. Thank you for being part of this team. Thank you for being my pastor. Thank you for being my pharmacist. Thank you for being my barber. I don't care what it is. When you see somebody in your life going through a rough time period, I challenge you to lead with kindness. If you're in business, I especially, I think if you're, I know the other day we had a manager from Walmart listening to us. I challenge you if you're with a big box store, take time out. and Send a handwritten note to a couple of your managers. A couple of your employees that you see do something extraordinary. If you're a principal at a school, send a few of these out to your teachers. If you're the head of the PTA, send something out. I'm going to wrap up with a short story of my own. When you lead with kindness, when you show somebody you care, you may keep them from committing suicide when they make mistakes. We had a gentleman down here at the beach that over the last two or three years, probably since about 2008, 2009, has done a remarkable job at at keeping tourism in our community. When the BP oil spill came, he was right there working with the public relations team, with the media and everything, and and he made sure people knew this was still a beautiful place to come. But late last week, we we were given some information that he had bought a yacht. Now, he didn't hide the fact that he bought the yacht, and he didn't buy it for himself, but he spent he spent over $750,000 on this yacht. And he said, well, the reason I did it is because it's, I want to I want to help bring a year-long tourism campaign to Destin. I want to really keep going where I'm going. But people questioned the intelligence that it would take to do that since he did it and really didn't let anybody know he was doing it. Out of pressure because of that, he resigned his position of the Tourist Development Council chairman. Late Thursday, it was been notified that an arrest warrant had been issued for him because the FBI and the state mortgage fraud unit were investigating his mortgage, said that he had 
I don't know if he paid cash or how, but paid for his house in a very prestigious gated community over $700,000 with bed tax money from the TDC. He disappeared, left a suicide note for his wife. They found him early Friday morning, drug overdose up in Alabama, and before they could get him to the hospital, he passed away. And as I was studying this chapter today, I thought, you know, if he'd have had people in his life showing him kindness, not just pacifying him because of his position, but truly mentors that were saying, you're doing a good job, hang in there, let us help you. Maybe he wouldn't have committed suicide. He left his family in in a pretty devastated place. But as I was listening to some people talk about it and slam him, I had to sit there for a minute and I said, boys, let me explain something to you. Somebody that's run around with both hardened criminals and white-collar criminals. This guy wasn't a criminal. He did some stupid stuff. Yeah, they were crimes, and if he was convicted, he'd have gone to prison. But guys that commit suicide are not criminals. They're people that don't have a support team that they can go to. They were fearful out of embarrassment that their greed had gotten the best of them, that their attitude. Don't let yourself go through something like that. Lead with kindness. Tomorrow we start Chapter 5, Trusting, Placing Confidence in Somebody. You're going to love it. Folks, live life like it's an epic adventure, and remember this. If you're in network marketing, act like it. Be back here tomorrow morning on RealMentorsRadio.com.